One time I was visiting a lady in... in uh, please this morning to First uh, Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel 17 chapter. Already you know what that is, or should know. Story of David and Goliath, of course. But I just want to read one verse. Verse 40 of 1 Samuel 17. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and a sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. He took his staff in his hand, he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and a sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Reading through scripture, Bible passages, often the Holy Spirit draws our attention to a text, a sentence, sometimes just to a word uh, that at first reading it appears rather ordinary. Sometimes it looks even incidental to the whole story. And the story of David and Goliath is so familiar to us. But sometimes because of its familiarity, our eyes tend to skip over uh, as we read through the story because we know it so well. And we find that our eyes perhaps skips over verse 40. Uh, maybe we feel it's just kind of padding padding out a rather quite long story. And in reading verse 40, sometimes we should ask ourselves particularly, why is verse 40 included in the story? I mean, is it really necessary to tell us, to remind us that a boy with a sling would be also carrying stones? I mean, would somebody with a gun not be carrying bullets I mean, it's as obvious as that. So it hardly seems worth mentioning, but the fact that the Holy Spirit does deliberately mention it, then that should lead us to think that perhaps he's trying to tell us something, that maybe there is lessons that we can learn from it. It's like that little word, sila, that you'll find often at the end of the Psalms or perhaps in the middle of the Psalm, where we're to stop and think about it rather than rush through it, that we're to take our time and just muse over it and wonder about it. Why five smooth stones? Why tell us where he found them in the brook? Why describe them? Why tell us that they're smooth? Why show us where he kept them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch? There was giants in the land in those days, and those giants defied the people of God. And there are giants in the land in these days. And they are still defying the people of God. But God wants you and I to be as a smooth stone in the hand of David's greater son, the Lord Jesus. He wants you and I to smite those giants and bring down the strongholds of the enemy. To strike a blow against the giants that cast their ugly shadow over us. Giants of fear, giants of depression, 
giants of debt, giants of inferiority, giants perhaps of pride, things that would defy us and deny us, and things perhaps that would intimidate us or paralyze us. But we are the people of God, are we not? And God has not made a covenant with the giants. He's made a covenant with us as people. All Israel feared that which was felt by a little stone from the hand of a young boy. And while all Israel trembled and was troubled by the giant, the Bible tells us that David tackled him and he terminated him. So let's have a little look this morning, briefly, at what the Holy Spirit perhaps could say about these five smooth stones. First of all, notice in verse 40 how David chose them. These stones were dormant. These stones were even dead. But they were to become in the hands of David dynamic stones. Stones that would be living stones, as it were. Stones that would absolutely change the very course of the battle against this giant. Stones that would actually bring down giant and save a nation. They just looked ordinary. But yet God had a purpose for them. Peter said that we are a royal priesthood. That we are a chosen generation. David chose these stones. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. So every single one of us this morning, every single believer is chosen by God himself, handpicked for the job. We are the salt in a corrupt world. We are the light in a dark world. The reality is, that only you and I as the church can ultimately make a difference to society. Society is a mess, isn't it? It's self-destructing. They're trying everything they can to put things to right, but they can't get it and they can't fix it and they're so frustrated and they're trying everything they know, but they have left God out of it. They've left the Bible out of it. They've left the church out of it. They've left Christianity completely out of it, particularly in Britain. No wonder it's in the state that it's in. No wonder the giants are threatening and intimidating. God chose us. If you have been saved, it was God who took the initiative. Oh, I know there came a point in your life where you wanted to be saved, where you felt convicted that you weren't saved. But all of that was a work of God in your life, sending his Holy Spirit to convict and to convince and to draw you. And so it wasn't your initiative. It wasn't my initiative. It was God who took the initiative. It was God who sent his son to seek and to save us as sinners. Thankfully, we responded. But it was God who chose us and it was God who took the initiative. So the world isn't going to slay the giants and it doesn't have the answer. The only thing that can slay the giants is the church. God's living stones that he holds in his hands. 
Do you honestly believe this morning that you are salt and light? Because Jesus said you were. But do you believe that? Do you believe that your influence within society can and does make a difference? Let me put it this way. If it wasn't for the influence of Christianity in this country, where would it be right now? I know at the moment that influence is dwindling because it's getting, the light is getting dimmer and dimmer because of laws they're bringing in. But is society any the better for that? No, it's the worse for it, isn't it? But whenever a nation turns to God, then that nation is blessed and that nation is prospered. When a nation turns away from God, the opposite happens. And you can see that happening all over the world. So David chose them. We are chosen by God. Again in verse 40, David counted them. Now those who believe in Bible numerics, in other words, that numbers mean things. Number 40, for instance, is generally the number of testing. Uh, Goliath stood for 40 days and shook his big ugly fist at the people of God, didn't he? Jesus was in the desert for 40 days and he fasted for 40 days. So 40 is a time of testing. Now those who believe in Bible numerics believe that five is the number of grace. You think of the five ascension gifts that are given to the church for the edifying, for the building up of the church, the body of Christ, that are told us in Ephesians chapter 4. The fivefold ministry we know it as. And it's God's grace that He has put within His church the fivefold ministry to edify, to build up the church. Whenever the temple was being built, the foundation stones of the temple measured five by five by five. It was five loaves and two fishes that fed 5,000 in God's grace. It was five wounds in the body of Christ that shows the grace of God. Whenever the children of Israel left Egypt in Exodus 13, the Bible says they, they, they left in ranks, in orderly ranks, and the margin says in ranks of five. It was the grace of God that took them out of Egypt. Whenever the holy anointing oil was made, it was made by made with five ingredients. So the number five oftentimes is indicative of, of grace. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, if we just have a quick look at that, it talks about the fivefold ministry. Verse 7 of Ephesians 4, But to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended was also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up 
of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But notice, to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of grace. And so we see here that uh, grace has been given in chapter 3 of verse uh, sorry, chapter 3 of Ephesians and verse 7. Paul speaking, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So every single one of us count with God. And we count with God because of his grace. Anything you are, anything you will ever do, any gifting you have, any talents or ability that's within you is a gift of God's grace to you. And we should never forget that because it's not us, it's the grace of God in us. And Paul says, I was called and I minister by the grace of God. He didn't depend on his own abilities and he had much ability. In fact, all his understanding, all his learning, all his education in the past, the way he was brought up as a Pharisee, he says, I count it as nothing. He says, it's the grace of God working effectively through me. So you count with God. He said, I have redeemed you. You're mine. I have set my love upon you. I've given you my name. I've given you my power. I've given you my righteous, my grace, my spirit. Because you count with God. You may be just a little stone, but you count with God. There's lots of little things in the Bible, isn't there? It was little loaves, five small loaves, two small fishes, little things. The widow's mite was very small. The widow had a little jar of oil, a little meal in a barrel. It was a little maid that spoke to Naaman and told him there was a prophet in Israel where he could be cleansed of his leprosy. The Bible talks about faith like a tiny little mustard seed. And so we may be little. We may seem inconsequential to others, but not to God because we count with God because he's put his grace in us and that's what makes us count. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you are the body of Christ, but you are members in particular. Last night in this great drama that was done, it was done because a bunch of people got together and every single one of them played their part on before the scenes and behind the scenes. It could not have happened unless everybody that was in it played their individual part. And that's what church life is like. Everybody has something to add. Everybody has something to give. Should you only come to church, you're there, you're physically there as part of the body of Christ. But you have much more than that, of course, because you've all got something that you can share. So David chose them, he counted them. But notice how he carefully carried them. He put them in a shepherd's bag, didn't he? And these, bag, this, these stones would win a great victory. And see how carefully he carried them. Not one of them would be out of his reach. His hand could easily come upon them at any time. 
every single one of them was within his grasp. See how available they were. See how ready they were, how close at hand, how prepared they were for service. At any moment, at any time, once they were in that bag, they were ready and prepared for service. All David had to do was put his hand on them and grab one of them, and they were ready. Somebody said that some Christians are like concrete. They're cold and they're stiff and they're hard to stir. And other Christians are like cornflakes. They're fresh and they're crisp and they're ready to serve. <laughs> so I'd rather you be like cornflakes than concrete. <laughs> are you ready to serve? If the Lord should put his hand on you any time, are you ready? Are you willing? Are you close at hand? You say, well, I'm not sure if it would feel like it. I didn't ask you if you feel like it. I says, are you ready? Feeling has nothing to do with it, by the way. It's just be prepared and be ready. Because you never know what God's going to do with you. Or he's going to do through you. But you've got to be available. I remember whenever I came into ministry, right at the very start, I looked around the church I was in and I saw people that I felt were very gifted, had a lot of talent, could communicate greatly. And I questioned, well, why, God, did you ask me? And I remember a lady telling me, because I was quite young at the time when I looked at the older men around me who I felt could probably do a much better job than I could do, Remember, Lily said to me, he says, but the difference is you are available. You're available. You're available. You made yourself available. And I had made myself available. I said, Lord, whatever way you want to use me, I'm available. That's all. I didn't even know what way or how or when. But I made myself available. And so if you make yourself available, you'll find Somebody maybe could just help there, but that's okay. Make yourself available. You'll find that, that God will find a use for you in his kingdom because you count with God. Don't ever think that you do not count with God. You do. And he's got a future and a plan for your life. That's what the scripture tells us. And so these stones were chosen and they were counted and they were carefully carried and yet, they were cleverly concealed. They were hidden away in the bag. Now imagine they, they were, first of all, they were hidden in the brook. For all those years, hidden away in the brook. Nobody knew they were there. Nobody cared they were there. Nobody was remotely interested they were there. Until David came along. Until he chose them out of the brook. And when they came out of the brook, then he put them in his bag. And they were hidden again. And sometimes, well all the time actually, before God starts to use you, you're hidden away. 
You may be in the brook for years. Nobody sees anything in you. Nobody sees any potential about you. But God does. And then he comes and he takes you out of that. But then for another while he perhaps hides you in his back. <coughs> He's got you. And he has you in his bag, heading away, waiting for the moment when he needs to use you particularly for something particular. And that can be a frustrating time. Imagine if these stones could talk. What would they say to each other? What are we doing here in the dark? I can't see any purpose in this. At least when we're in the brook, we weren't in the dark, but we're in the dark now. What are we doing here? Will we ever be used for anything? How long must we stay here? If only those stones could talk, they'd be asking themselves those questions. Again, if you excuse the personal illustrations before I come into ministry... I knew it was going to happen. I felt it was going to happen. I sensed it was going to happen. And it was the most frustrating time of my life because it wasn't happening. <laughs> it just was not happening. But I knew it was going to, but I didn't know when. And all of that time I was in God's back, heading away, couldn't see, didn't know, just felt and wondered how and when and why, where. But then suddenly, suddenly, everything changes. Goliath didn't know how many stones David had in that bag. He didn't know which one of them David was going to throw at him. But God knew. Some of these days God's going to put his hand in his bag and he's going to pick you out. And he's going to put you in a slingshot. And he's going to fire you at the giant. And it could be you, or you, or you, or you, or you, or you, or you. It could be any one of us. David made his choice. He put his hand in his bag. And in verse 49 it says, And David cast it. He threw the stone. And how quickly and how accurately that stone found its target. David was an expert with a slingshot, as many men were in those days. They grew up as little boys with a slingshot. And by the time they were young men, they were very, very good at it. In fact, there's ones in the Old Testament, they could do it to a hair's breadth. They could hit a target. So they were expert at it. And David was an expert at this. He knew exactly what he had. He knew exactly what he wanted to do with it. He knew exactly where he was going to hit that giant. When he threw that stone at that giant, he wasn't just hoping it would hit him. He knew where it would hit him. He had taken his aim right and correctly. In fact, it was the only place that was available. Right smack between the eyes. <laughs> and that stone was smooth. 
It was smooth. It was prepared. Aerodynamically prepared. No resistance. Nothing to hold it back. As soon as David twirled that slingshot and let that thing go, there was nothing going to stop it from hitting its target because it was made for the job. And if you can believe you're made for God's job, whatever it may be, and God has to smooth our lives, He has to round off the corners and get us right and get us prepared. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 1, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race which is set before us. There's lots of talk today about the Olympics coming up and about what they are going to wear. And every year and every Olympics, it's the same thing with athletics because they are, the technology is increasing with the various suits, particularly the swimmers with the very uh, swimsuits that they wear uh, so that they are aerodynamically, or in that case, suited to water so that there's nothing causing them to drag. And sometimes it's just that split second that wins in the gold medal. And if they had had a different pair of pants on, they wouldn't have won it, incredibly. So everything is down to a very fine art. And whenever God's ready to use you, believe me, when he wants to use you and he says, now I'm going to use you, you can be sure you are prepared or he wouldn't be using you. You may not feel it, but you are. He's got you ready. He's been rounding off the corners. And that's why sometimes when you're in that position of getting ready and getting prepared, it doesn't feel very comfortable because God's knocking some hard edges off us. And so David put his hand into that bag. And here's the wonderful thing. Any one of those stones could have slew that giant. Any one of them. There's five of them. And he deliberately chose those five out of all of the stones that was in the brook. Those were the ones that he knew have called upon at any moment in this fight they could win the battle for him. So any one of you, without exception, God gets you ready and you're prepared. When it comes the moment, he puts you in the slingshot and the Holy Ghost gets behind you, you'll slay the giant. You'll do the job that you're called to do. So it's not that he's special or she's special or they're special. You've got to say, Lord, if you prepared me and you want to use me, then whatever you have seen in me, I'm available. I'm willing to do it. And that's what makes the difference whenever you go to slay those giants. And so, verse 40, it doesn't seem like much, does it? It seems to be telling us the obvious. But yet there's little lessons in there for us to learn as we look at it. And so you are a smooth stone in the hand of a big God. And David threw that stone and it hit Goliath right between the eyes, right on the forehead. And as I've said to you often in the past, the hardest part of your body is right there. Your cranium. It's the hardest part of your body. 
And if you read the story and read it correctly, you'll see that when the stone hit him, it didn't glance off him. It actually sunk into his forehead. Such was the power behind it. Now, David was good, and he was accurate, and he was strong. He's a young man with any his bloom of his youth and all that, but I think there was more than just him behind that stone, don't you? I think the Holy Ghost got behind it, and it sunk right into that big giant's head, and he fell like a big oak tree. And he still wasn't dead yet. He must have been lying there groaning and moaning. And David looked for his sword and he hadn't got one. So he took his sword and he cut his head off. He made sure that giant was never going to get up again. That particular giant would never rise again. It's a wonderful story. We don't have time to read all of the story today, obviously. It's a great story. But there's lessons for us to learn in that story. Let's pray. Lord, we just take these few moments in your presence or just examine ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for the times in the past that you have used each of us. Whatever capacity, whatever degree you seem fit to do that. And Lord, we know that there are days in the future where you will yet use us. Thank you, Lord, for preparing us, for knocking off the rough edges. So that the moment you call upon us, we'll be ready. Instant in season and out of season. So we give you thanks for that. Lord, there are so many giants that will come against us in this life to discourage to distract, to defeat, to try to depress us. Lord, help us to slay those giants. Cut the head off them so that they won't rise against it ever again. That we'll have complete and utter victory over the Goliaths in our lives to the glory of God. We thank you for your grace that makes this possible. It's not our strength, it's not our ability, it's the grace of God. Help us to walk in it. Help us to draw upon it and to live in the light of it. In Jesus' name.